Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Diving Deep with DL. Today I'm going to talk about something that was not in my purview one bit. I suspect most people are this way. If there's no immediate or long-term personal need, then no need to pay attention or get involved, right? You'll hear two topics that have the same connection, and we're going to dive into the importance of the blood, both spiritually and physically. For the first time in the Godcast, I'm going to have a visitor. You'll hear from him personally, and I pray you'll see what we have to offer as disciples of Jesus, which is our spiritual service of worship. And if you've never considered either, I pray today God changes your perspective because there is life in the blood. You got your tanks. Let's dive in. This segment is titled, Discipleship, the Way of Life, Life is in the Blood. The first thing I must do is praise God for His inspiration and the work of His Spirit in and through this Godcast. I am so thankful for the lives it's touching and the places it's reaching, which are places I would never have been able to go to, obviously, outside of God's will. That's because I'm sitting at my desk, speaking the truth in love, for all of you who are faithfully listening. By the way, today marks the 25th episode of Diving Deep with DL. All I can say is but God and thank you Jesus for your work of salvation and sanctification in my life. Can I get an amen for God's work of salvation in and through the lives of his disciples? You know as a disciple of Jesus, when the Spirit of God is moving, all you can do is move right along with him as he completes God's will and work in and through humanity. On this 25th episode, apparently it's time for God to expand the Godcast beyond what I planned, believe that, and I've been inspired to bring forth a visitor, and you can expect you will hear from visitors periodically on the Godcast from now on. I was talking with a fellow disciple recently and the Spirit of God brought forth a passage to encourage him and you can believe God was speaking it loudly to me. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And you can believe I am living out all aspects of the all in which my life today that God has promised. Praise God. So our topic today is life is in the blood. And as I've said, you have the spiritual and the physical connections. The spiritual is all about Jesus. I would be remiss not to mention Jesus first because if you're a student of God's word, and have read Colossians 1, then you know it's all about him. So listen to Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So this Godcast is for him. And you, my fellow disciples, were created through him and for him. Amen. Most people think that the cross was where Jesus' blood was shed, but I'm here to testify to you that Jesus' blood was shed way before the cross. Believe that. 
And there is a promise of God that I believe sets the stage, if you will, for this wonderful work of God. Listen to Leviticus 17, correction, Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Key word, I have given it to you on the altar. Listen to Luke twenty-two forty-four, titled The Garden of Gethsemane. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When Jesus said that he laid down his life and nobody has taken it from him, this is the first example of his blood flowing from his humanity onto the ground, which served as the altar for the preparation of the perfect sacrifice for the sin of humanity. This, my fellow disciples, is the ultimate atonement. You want to understand the significance of John 3.16? Then you look to the blood of Jesus. Listen to Matthew 27.26. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, there's no need to go through a detailed explanation of scourging. I'll save you from the horrific visuals. Just know, after being scourged by a Roman soldier, there was a tremendous amount of Jesus' blood on the ground. Believe that. Now, here's one thing that confirms the truth, and I love how God's word validates itself. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just testify, without the shedding of Jesus' blood that day on the ground that served as the altar, there is no forgiveness for our transgressions, iniquities and the chastening from God. And we all, all of us, perish in a torment of hell forever. If you have never considered your need for Jesus' blood, I pray today God will bring that truth to your heart and spirit so you too can be healed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And if you know of someone or you have someone on your heart that needs the blood of Jesus for their healing, today I pray and I ask God for his mercy and through his love to bring forth that healing to and for your loved one today. Now, as disciples of Jesus, how do we live out our calling and have God's living word come alive in us? I tell you the truth. It's by giving of our blood for humanity that makes Ephesians 5.1 come alive in us. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children 
I truly believe that we can imitate God by sharing, not shedding like Jesus, although I will not rule out a day when that may be God's will for some of his disciples, as it has been over time on this planet, but it can also be a way that you personally get to provide life to another human being by giving your blood as a means of your spiritual service of worship. So, Without further ado, let me welcome Robert Baxter to the Godcast. I truly believe it was God, is God, and will always be God doing the work in and through the lives of his disciples. I believe God brought Robert and I together, and we are a living example of his word, Psalm 139.16, coming alive in our lives today. Praise God. Robert, welcome to Diving Deep with D.L., and I am so glad that you're able to join us today. Well, DL, thank you for having me here. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have a chance to share a story about a life that has been changed. Mm -hmm. And honestly, up until now, a lot of that change has been so negative for me as far as the experience of it what is being born and finally birthed in this season is all of the fruit of walking through so much pain. January of 2008, I started having some night sweats. And I just thought, well, that's me. I sweat at night, but it was getting to where I'd wake up and I'd actually have a pillow that was drenched and I'd literally be laying in wet linens. Mm. And then the sweating started to happen around the clock. And I would get up each morning and I would pull the linens off and I would put them into the um, uh, washing machine and I knew what was going to come because I'd been starting to take Tylenol or I would take ibuprofen or leave to try to start breaking the fevers that was happening. And once I took that, I had about an hour countdown and I went from being cold and wet to sweaty and wet and hot. And... Uh, I got really, really beat down mm. over about three week period and I knew something was clearly wrong physically. And I went in and out of various um, emergency rooms. I went to some doctors and nobody could find anything wrong. They said, I mean, we, we believe you, we know something's up, but we don't know what is up. And I was 43 years old at the time, so I was at the prime of my health. I finally, uh, went to a physician and emergency room doctor sent me to a physician and uh, she is an infectious disease specialist and, and the idea was she could run a variety of different um, diagnoses across differentials to try to see if maybe I had one of these unusual things like a fungal infection or something mm -hmm. like that. And, um, and her, her statement right off the bat was, well, Mr. Baxter, yeah, nobody's looked at your abdomen. You know, I walked in with a big stack of papers, you know, and what all I've been through. And and, uh, and I said, well, my abdomen doesn't hurt. I hurt in my chest. I hurt in my legs. I'm sweating. I've got fever. And she goes, well, there's a lot that can happen in your abdomen. So she scheduled a uh, CAT scan of the abdominal area. And the day we had it done, I hadn't been home longer than, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so. And the phone rings. And there's this technician who calls and says, Mr. Baxter, we're going to schedule you for a needle-guided biopsy. Your lymph glands are swollen across your abdomen. And I instantly knew. And I said, oh, I've got lymphoma. That's what it is. And he said, I didn't say that, Mr. Baxter. And I said, no, it's okay. I understand you can't say that. And we don't really know that yet. 
but there's a real good chance that this is lymphoma. Now, I don't know lymphoma from a, from a pile of beans, mind you, but it just suddenly clicked and made sense. Mm. So uh, I sat there once we hung up, and I just broke out crying. Mm. Oh, I cried so hard because I knew I had cancer at that point. And I looked up the symptoms on Dr. Google, mm. and sure enough, I had every exact symptom of lymphoma. Mm. So they did the needle-guided biopsy. And it took about a week to come back with a definitive diagnosis. And that day was Valentine's Day, 2008. And uh, went to the doctor's office and she, uh, Dr. McDonald says, you know, Mr. Baxter, you're very sick. And it was obvious I was very sick by that point. She said, I've got a room waiting for you at uh, the Baylor All Saints. She said, you're going to go to room number 21 and you're going to be admitted there and they're going to start chemo. And I was like, well, let me go home and get my stuff. And she goes, you don't have time. So I got there and found out that what I had was called the world's fastest cancer. It's Burkitt's lymphoma. Mm. And it doubles in size about every 25 hours. And in a period from about, I think it was February 14th or 15th, I'm, I'm sorry, January 14th or 15th until February 14th, Valentine's Day, I had lost 35 pounds. I had become very pale. I was in tremendous pain. I couldn't go very far. I was out of breath. And they got me in that room, and right off the bat, this nurse walks up and says, Mr. Baxter, you want one vial or two? And I said, of what? And she goes, well, morphine. I can tell you're hurting. And I said, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how much to take. And she says, listen, I know that you're a nurse, and I know that you're an old-school nurse, and old-school nurses are always afraid of narcotics. She said, in this place... It flows like water. It's okay. You won't be addicted to this, and it is okay for you to have pain medicine because if we help you with your pain, you will heal quicker. Mm. And I said, well, I guess I'll start with one vial then. And thus began my descent into what I call a chemical hell, literally. And this uh, OR team came up and they did all sorts of things and put in lines and took biopsies from across my body and bone marrow biopsies. And uh, the doctor, the oncologist said, um, have you felt all the swollen lymph nodes around your body? And I'm like, well, no. And he said, uh, here, let me show you. And he guided my hand around to various places. And I was impressed with the amount of big lumps across my body. I had mm -hmm. never even noticed. And he said, I'm estimating you're within about 10 days of death. He said, this cancer is fast. It's uh, the world's fastest. So he said, we'll get you out by October. I said, excuse me? He said, we're going to get you home by October. I said, it's Valentine's Day in February. And he goes, I'm estimating an eight-month eight hospital stay. And I lost it. I lost it. I just wailed. I'm like, I got to go home. I got to go to work. I can't be in the hospital for seven months. What are you talking about? And he goes, sir, you're a very sick man. I've already turned in your, you know, paperwork and you're going to be off from work and all this. And I'm just like looking at him. And that's, I think, the second moment when reality hit me very hard about how sick I was. The chemotherapy I underwent it's called Hyper-CVAD plus Rituximab. And he threw the kitchen sink at me and then picked up the kitchen counter and threw it mm. at me. And in this process, I became very weak. And there were times I couldn't get out of bed. One time I had to use a walker. And, um, oh, my gosh, the stories that I could go into with the detail. 
It's all available online if you go to robertibaxter.com. It's a cancer blog I have. I'm not real active on it, but it's got the full testimony. It's a link on there. It says uh, 2008 testimony, and I give a tremendous amount of detail in there what it's like to walk through this. Somewhere in this time frame, I learned the value of blood donors. And it, uh, I eventually, by the way, I eventually got to go home. I was there six weeks, went home for four days, and I was so sick after that fourth day that I couldn't even lean over to tie my own shoe. And mm -hmm. I've never forgotten what it's like to try to walk from the sofa just to the front door, and I almost couldn't make it. And by the time I got in the car, I just told my wife, I, I can't do this. I'm so weak. So when we got to the doctor's office, they said, oh, you're going straight back to the hospitals. My, it was supposed to be like a week at home, was truncated. I went back to the hospital and they started filling me up with uh, blood products. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how important blood donors were until I was in need of mm -hmm. blood. And once they hit me with some blood, I felt better. One time, uh, and I have the details inside um, that testimony online, uh, this is an example of how powerful blood is. I'm now, I'm going to think it was maybe six months in, and this pattern had been set where it was about two to three weeks in the hospital, one to a week at home, approximately. And I had to do these visits, and every once in a while I got to stay home for two weeks at the most. But I had to go to the doctor between, and the doctor is 18 miles away in downtown Fort Worth, and I lived on the north side. And by that point, we'd hit a rhythm, and my wife was at work, and... I got behind the vehicle and I was more stable and able to drive and I took these back routes and it took me over an hour to get there and I just remember thinking, what did I run into when I took a shower this morning because I couldn't understand the bruising that I had across my head and I had bruises on my arms and I'm like, I know I'm out of it. I know I'm on a lot of medications. I know I'm sick, but where's this bruising? I must have really like bumped into something and don't even remember it. So when I got to the doctor's office, it was a journey to get inside. I had to stop and sit every time there was a place to sit. And when I got in there, I approached the front desk and this lady, the receptionist says, well, Mr. Baxter, you don't look very good. And I told her, I don't feel good. And she says, uh, why don't you have a seat and we're going to get to you. And so they drew some blood and the waiting room was full. And by now I had no hair anywhere, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. I was mm. Mr. Clean from head to toe, mm. swollen I was swollen up. Oh, I was just, I looked terrible and I was pale. And all I remember sitting down in the only available seats, the entire waiting room was completely filled. And I thought, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. I just can't make it. And I just found myself leaning over to one side thinking, I'm just going to rest. And my head came upon a shoulder and I didn't care that I was leaning on a stranger's shoulder. And I just... I don't know, I lost sense of time, and the shoulder says to me, Mr. Baxter, you want to come on inside? And I said, I looked up, you know, and it was the nurse. She'd come and sat right next to me, and I was like, well, yeah. She goes, I could tell you don't feel good. And I walked in, in front of all these people, sick as a dog, and we went right past the scale and didn't stop and they never do not weigh you and they didn't stop at the scale and we sat down inside the office and she says we've already called the ambulance 
and they're coming to pick you up. I went, oh, wow. She says, you have no platelets. Hmm. Your blood count is reaching too low, and you've got to get blood now. And about that time, I kid you not, a big drop of blood left my nose. And she reaches over, grabs some towels, and hands them to me. And I'm holding it, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Here I am bleeding out of my nose, and it just started dripping faster and faster. And I looked at her and said, that would explain all the bruising across my body then. And I said, um, so I uh, am going to be going to the hospital again. And I said, do you please tell me you have a back door. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, when the ambulance picks me up, I said, I don't want to go out in front of all these people because by now... She had already handed me the second round of towels because the first ones were saturated, mm. and I was starting to weep. I was so weak. I was. I'd been months into this. Didn't even know if I was going to live. The doctor gave me a 50-50 chance at that point. I had bruising all over my body, and being a nurse, it dawned on me what that meant. I was bleeding out internally, mm. and she said, "There is no back door." I'm like, "You mean they're going to take me out in front of all these people?" And by that time, she's handing me the third round of towels. And I mean, blood was just going everywhere. And it was a mess. And she said, I'm sorry. And I mean, they were quick. The ambulance is there. It was all just that fast. And the blood was running now. And holding this bloody stuff to my face, they took me out in front of all those people that watched me go in just five minutes earlier. And I was so ashamed of myself and where I was at. And I hated what was happening to me. And when I got to the hospital, they immediately started transfusing six units of blood nonstop. And they gave me three units of platelets. That's a lot of blood. And uh, the oncologist came in later that day and made a reference to, Mr. Baxter, your tank was empty. Well, they had to go after my body aggressively with the chemicals because they had a chance of saving me. But they couldn't go easy, so they had hit me with everything they could. I had so many blood products, and I just never had any idea how valuable blood really is. Mm. When all of this was done, I, I eventually, well, I was supposed to have eight, eight different uh, regimens, and it was split into an A-B cycle. And after regimen number seven, so this is now September, my blood would not return to its normal values because you know, I kept going in, and they were watching, and they're going, well, Mr. Baxter, we can't start chemo this week. And I couldn't get my blood values up. My body was not responding any longer. The bone marrow was just like it was tired. It wasn't producing the uh, blood that I needed. And I finally withdrew. I said, I'm done. And so I went back to work about two weeks later. And I was such a weak man. There wasn't much I could do. And I was a little flustered because somebody had taken the chair. I was an educator at the time in dialysis. And somebody had taken the chair that I had sat on, you know, and they changed it out. And that chair had like metal. There was no more padding on it. It was like just fabric stretched over metal. And I couldn't believe somebody would do that. You know, to a cancer victim? Hmm. And it dawned on me, I had no meat on my bones. Hmm. I was sitting on bone and it hurt. So this fellow who worked there, he's so kind, he brought out a big old stack of bubble wrap and I, I literally sat down on hmm. bubble wrap. Hmm. And uh, later in that day, I, I went next door to the secretary, a lady, very nice lady by the name of Donna. I said, Donna, I'm so happy to be back. And she said, I'm glad to have you back. 
And we got onto the subject of blood donation and how much I never really knew about blood donors and how it is so needed that people need blood. It's, it's so powerful. Mm. And she says, Robert, I need to share something with you. And uh, she showed me a plaque. It was either a plaque or something in her office. And she's a lifetime donor at Carter Blood Care Center. And she goes, as often as they will let her, it has just been a conviction that she has in her life. And she said, did you know that we can designate who we donate our blood to? And I'm like, well, no, I had no idea. And she said, well, you know, it depends on if you're a match. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, you and I are a match. Hmm. And all that time, Donna had been donating her blood to me. Hmm. And I... You know, I broke out crying, and we just both wept. I hugged her. You know, what a gift. It's what I needed to get through that. And uh, anyway, I eventually got better. I turned into a really angry man after the whole cancer thing was over. And, you know, I'd like to come back sometime, Dion, and show my story with you. We'd love to have you come back. Because I'd like to uh, share with you what happened, but it, kind of the ultimate short version is I ended up becoming an atheist. Hmm. I was known as a man of God and I had a lot of faith and blah, blah. Mind you, I was really a disturbed person with a lot of sin in my life who had a good facade. But somewhere in that mixture, I did love God. And I was trying, although my, my efforts were quite weak. I walked away an atheist as of Pentecost Sunday hmm. in 2010. And left church, and I realized what a fool I was. Now, I'm going to save that for another story. That would be Because cool. I did come back to faith. And the returning Amen. to faith happened with, are you ready? Yeah. A second diagnosis of Burkitt's lymphoma six mm. years later. And where the first time destroyed my faith, and it really wasn't it per se, I thought God wasn't good. And by the second time, there had been a return to faith, and the final piece I needed was to see that God was good, and I could believe that, and that happened as I was entering my second battle with Burkitt's lymphoma. And the second battle meant that I was going to have to go in for a bone marrow transplant, or they'll call it a stem cell transplant. And I ended up having one of these procedures, and I'm going to just say that it was a pretty terrible thing to walk through. Um, it's uh, first you go through normal chemotherapy for months and then they take you into a room and you don't get to leave the room for a long time. And um, just as an interesting side note, for anybody who's in the DFW metro area, you'll know the old St. Paul's Hospital has now been transformed into what they call UT Southwestern. Mm -hmm. And I was the last patient on the chemo ward there um, in that what they call their big room because it was reserved for bone marrow transplants. And I always thought that was just an interesting deal has no real value for today, but I thought it was a fun fact. Um, I found out that a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant, what it's really about is that they give you enough chemo to kill you over and over and over. Chemo levels that they can't give you because you couldn't survive. Mm -hmm. But here's the deal, they want to kill every cancer cell they can and it has the chemo has to have the ability to move through the bone marrow because that's where your, your blood is produced. And it has to have time to kill all the cancer cells, including all of your red blood cells. It has to kill everything. And then they want you to do a full reset. 
and they do this exact countdown exactly how they do it now I mean it's regimented and it's quite a process that all of, I put videos on my uh, cancer blog if anybody's interested in seeing that at robertibaxter.com and I, I shared the, what it looks like you can see a, a stem cell um, plasmapheresis process and that was on my wedding anniversary October 30th and uh, I was getting my first one and I was erping in a bucket all day long as they're pulling all this stuff out of me so they can cleanse it and give me back the exact things I need which are baby red blood cells and they're called stem cells and they're not even red blood cells they're baby cells that can be differentiated I didn't know the power of blood until that moment mm -hmm. as to how specialized it is and so I underwent a bone marrow transplant in uh, November of 2014 and it required tremendous amounts of blood product and because they gave me so much blood I ended up having to have you ready therapeutic phlebotomy in about a year which means they go in and drain blood out well why were they draining blood out because I had so much iron in my body from the blood transfusions they had given me and I joked and said, what's well, a good old-fashioned Roman bloodletting is what it is. <laughs> and uh, at any rate, you know, when I look back across this, there's a few things I would like to say is that when people go through this, they end up getting a new lens. And as I've heard you talk about what it's like for you as a plasma donor, you be, you've got a new lens on life and you see things differently. And I'm hoping some people will hear we need plasma donors because all of this destroyed my bone marrow to the degree that I produce no more immunoglobulins. And immunoglobulins are a, a component of your defense system. You've got to have these or you become sick and you will fight infections until you die or they prop you up with antibiotics nonstop. And we all know antibiotics only work up to a point and then they become ineffective. So every month I go in for a um, infusion of IgG and it takes anywhere from about 1,000 to 15,000 separate plasma donors to get one dose. And I think of that every single time I go in and I am grateful for people who donate. And, um, you know, getting ready for the show today, we hear Alexa go, ding, ding, you have your plasma visit tomorrow, DL. And... The interesting thing is, the very next day, you're going tomorrow to donate, and on yes. Friday, I'm going in to receive my monthly infusion. I am now propped up, so to speak. But out of all of this, I cannot emphasize the importance of blood. You know, what is the value of blood? In my case, the value of people donating plasma or donating blood products is valuable. What price blood? I guess it's all in your location and what you believe. For me, it is very valuable. For those that are Christians, we all realize it took blood of infinite value to match the amount of sin mm -hmm. to make atonement. Amen. And I, in a sense, have to have blood every single month now. It's really plasma. And, um, and that's what I have to do. And and I appreciate people having a, a chance to, to hear this, and I hope that we will get some uh, additional plasma donors out of this. So thank you very much, Dion. Well, it is truly a pleasure. I, I am a squirmish, chicken, whatever you want to say with regard to needles. I never liked them, ever. And um, I remember, you know, shortly after we had got together, God had brought us together uh, through the Stephen ministry, and having that opportunity to sit down and talk with you, one day you 
you know, you say I ask a lot of the questions, you ask me a question. And the question was, do you donate plasma? And I said, no, as a matter of fact, I don't because I don't like needles. And then at that point, you then shared your story of your trial of cancers. And I can tell you, uh, Robert, that really made an impact on my life. I realized that it was something I could do. And as a disciple of Jesus, we have the opportunity to have our blood taken and given if all the factors fit and what they say is acceptable and all those other things but for me it was fear it wasn't it wasn't that I couldn't I just wouldn't and once you told me that and once you told me your need for it I left your house a different person that day and I realized that I needed to step up I mean, it wasn't like they were going to stick the needle in my eye or anything. It was going in my arm. And I could do that, so I went. And I want you to know now I am on my 14th donation. And I'm proud of the fact that I can contribute. And I'm asking anyone, anyone who has yet to consider the value, just think of, as Robert said, the infinite power of infinite blood to take away the sin of the world. How can we, as human beings, not help a fellow human being who has a need for blood, for plasma, to help them enjoy the days of their lives? So, my heart goes out to you and any other person who has any need for any blood or any plasma that this is a call to arms for all of us to step up and donate blood. So as we kind of talk through this and, and again I am so thankful that you have the opportunity to come in and have dialogue with us and talk through this. Uh, I do want you to come back. You said something that I think really causes others to question as well. Is there a possibility that I can get angry at God? And would it be beneficial to walk away? So talking about atheism, not so much from the aspect of that, but more of the fact of when you're there, he comes and gets you and brings you back to himself. And, and I think he uses others to come into your life to remind you of his goodness because it is so wonderful that God has given us the opportunity. You have been a blessing in my life, and I am thankful to God that he has brought us forth. So thank you so much for your time that you've given us today, and thank you for sharing authentically as to your struggles and, and the difficulties. I know there'll be many listeners that'll say, I know exactly what he's talking about, and many of us that have no idea. But thank you again for being willing to come in and, and share your story of your trial with cancer. Well, you're welcome, and it was my pleasure. So, 
as you know we get to as we head back up so as we head back up take this with you first of all I want to say you said robertibaxter.com for your site there to check on that. So look into that, robertibaxter.com and check out his website on what he has. Um, I also want to say that now after today, I would hope you would see and understand the importance of the blood that was shed for you. And today you will look at your life as a disciple of Jesus with more purpose as you live out your calling, remembering life is in the blood. And you begin donating blood or plasma and be a blessing to another by the blood that's running through your veins. Amen? Find a facility. Is your spiritual service of worship today? And I think... As Robert had said, Donna, blood was very valuable to him. Just imagine for salvation how valuable Jesus' blood is to us. Now, as you know, uh, oh, one other point I'd like to make. He said something very early that resounded with me. And I made a note on my pad here, and it says... If we help you with your pain, you'll heal quicker. Just imagine Jesus saying that. I can help you with your pain and you can heal quicker. So, you know at this point is where I say let me pray for you. I would like to ask Robert if he would pray today and would you pray, Robert, as we get ready to close up our Godcast? Well, Father, you know where I've been in my life. You know the shortcomings. You know the trials. And you know where I turned my back, my thoughts, and my heart away from you. Mm. Lord, for those who are questioning if you're good, would you reveal to them how good you really are? Mm. Lord, where someone may be having a quickening in their heart, about should I donate blood and or plasma? Would you help them to have a peace about it yes. if they're being stirred to do such? Father, where it comes to the value of blood, mm. would you help all listeners and DL and myself to appreciate the infinite value of the blood of your son, Jesus? Mm. Father, I thank you for second and third and 100 chances to be restored back to you, thank to you, start Jesus. over again. And Lord, you know there was a time in my life where I said, where do I fit in? What do I do? What is my thing I'm to do to help out in the body of Christ? And it is no minor thing, Father, for people to use modern technology to bless somebody else. You, Would you release that into the listeners, that they would have a desire to bless somebody. And if they have fears about it, Father, alleviate their fears. And if they know they're not called, Father, to do this because they have something else you're calling them forward to, would you bring peace to their soul about what you are calling them to do? It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in to Diving Deep with DL. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have a great week of worship and keep walking the way.